Welcome back to the Writer's Advice Podcast, everyone. Once again, I am so glad that you are here. If this is your first episode, if you have been listening since day dot, welcome. Welcome back. I have another incredible, this is a guest episode today, so I have another incredible guest with an incredible writing career that I cannot wait to share with you and all the advice and lessons that we are going to learn from this particular episode. I literally recorded this and listened to it straight back and absolutely so much wisdom, so much wisdom. So I can't wait to get into it. But first of all, if you do love this episode, if your goal this year is to become a writer, if you're like, I am doing it, if you have been writing for a while, but you are just ready to like just step up the next level, whatever that next level is, I am here for you. I am supporting you. This is what this whole community is about. So um, follow us over on Instagram at the Writer's Advice Podcast or you can go and join our private um, group as well on Facebook, which is the Writer's Advice Podcast community. You can search for us there and I will accept you in, introduce yourself and, yeah, get your support crew going. Get us all around what you're working on and, and declare your goals. I'm very excited about it. Also, the Writer's Advice Podcast is brought to you by the fabulous Writer's Journal. Now, if you've probably heard me, if you have been listening for a while, talk about this for so many episodes. <laughs> but honestly, if you're a writer and you're like, I'm, you're just stuck on a couple of things. You've got an idea, but you don't know how to get the depth out of your characters. You've got an idea, but you don't really know how to build the whole world, whether that's fantasy, whether that's normal, whether that's writing scenes, whether that's putting your idea into a whole plot. This journal is going to help you do it all. Unlike a book that's going to tell you exactly how to do things, this is going to guide you through it, but it prompts you the questions that you need to be able to sit with yourself and write the depth that you need of all the characters, learning them inside and out, all the worlds, all the visionaries of the scenes and how to put it together in a well-structured plot so that you can create the book that you were born to write. The Writers of Journal is available on my website at, uh, sorry, it's oliviahillier.com or on Amazon. Just search the Writers Advice Journal by Olivia Hillier and jump on it. So many people have been jumping on it. I am obsessed hearing about all the stories that everyone has been creating with it. So yay. All right, guys, that's all I've got. That's all I've got for you this morning. No major update of this morning. I'm recording this this morning, but you might be listening to this at night time. So whenever you are, whenever, wherever in the world you are listening to this, let's get in to this week's episode. Writer's Advice is a point of connection, a dose of inspiration, and an insight into the creative process of the babes behind the books. I'm your host, Olivia Hillier. Each week, I'll be interviewing authors from around the globe on their creative process and how they got to where they are today and what it's really like inside the industry of publishing. So listen in, take notes, and I hope you walk away inspired, ready to take on the next level of your writing wherever you are in your journey. Welcome back to the Writer's Advice Podcast, everyone. I am very, very excited because today I have Abra Pressler. I said that right, didn't I? Yeah, you do. <laughs> I know, and I'm so I've I've been dying to have this this interview with you because um, Abra and I have spoken through different writers groups before. I have seen the journey of your book come to life, and I'm like, as soon as I got it in my hands, I was so excited. It's a beautiful book. Love and other scores. Everyone needs to literally, if you're just listening to this, 
search love and other scores asap one because i'm obsessed with the cover two if you need like a summer rom-com read this is the one <laughs> but i want there is so much i want to dive into of what brought this book and also so many of your other books about so can you take me all the way from the start when you were like you know what i want to write a book when was when was that moment <laughs> Honestly, I so I've been writing books since I was about 13. So I was, am like many authors, I got into the game super early and I wrote a lot of really quite average books, the books you would write when you are 13. Um, <laughs> and they always had a romance theme. So right from 13, I was just like, I'm going to find someone, I'm going to fall in love with them. I love that idea. I'm going to write about that. So I was writing all through university. I went to university for writing. But, of course, when you do an arts degree, you pick up so many other skills and all that sort of stuff. And I eventually, um, once I graduated, I was still writing, but sort of creative writing degrees often, like English in school, they're just like read this text and write about it critically and sometimes your creative juices are a bit sucked out. So once I graduated from my writing course, I went and, worked in um, the private sector, worked in project management for ages and I sort of started writing a book because now I was working and not studying and I had all this free time and so I wrote a, um, a, I tried, oh, I tried um, crime, I tried domestic noir because I was like this is popular, I love, I love this idea but it just wasn't sticking for me. I tried a couple drafts of this one book, it wasn't sticking at all, it just wasn't my genre. And then I tried this spy romance, which was fun, but it was also really hard to sort of, I just didn't have the skills as, as a writer to pull it off. And then around 2019, I was working on this book called More, which is my first self-published novel. And I was living in Canberra and I was just like, oh, what happens if like an Uber delivery driver, because Canberra is so small, it's it's like what would happen if the Uber delivery driver is servicing this area of suburbs and he's just constantly being delivering food to this one person? Like what would that look like? What would, how would they interact? And so that was a romance. It was my first queer romance. Um, And so when the pandemic rolled around, I was just like, oh, I have nothing to do. I'll just get this edited and sort of work on it, send it off. Um, And so I sent it off. I didn't get a lot of hits on it. And so I was like, right, I'll self-publish it. Um, And that did really, really well. Surprisingly, it did really, really well. Um, And I sold about 4,000 copies sort of in the first year, you know, combined ebook, print. That's epic. Copies that my mom and dad purchased and friends and family purchased. Um, And then I was just like, right, oh, I want to try and like, write this book that I've wanted to write since I was, you know, in 2015, which was this tennis romance where a tennis star is in town for the Australian Open and he's super burnt out and he's not loving life um, because tennis is his whole world and he um, just meets someone just spur of the moment, like um, sort of invisible string theory. He just meets someone and they connect and, yeah, that someone is just a normal normie who doesn't realise that he's a celebrity. And so that's what Love and Other Scores at its core is about. And I started working on that book in sort of mid-2021. By the end of 2021, it had been shortlisted for a prize with Penguin Random House. Wow. Um, and I really had my motors on to finish it, to submit it, because they wanted to see the whole whole document. And back yeah. then it was like this YA novel. Um, and then they, they ended up 
passing on it. They were just like, great, it's fine, but it didn't win the prize and, you know, it's probably not ready, which it wasn't. It was definitely not ready. So I spent time revising it. And then, um, yeah, I ended up getting the contract with Pan McMillan in early 2023 and it's just come out now, November 2023. So spent the year editing it and working with them and they were such a dream. This I just love the story so much because, one, you brought up so much good stuff in that and it's it's quite interesting because I hear a lot of people say it. If they, I mean, it's also if you're right, like working in a, a sector where you're writing a lot as well or you've studied and you're, you know, you've got to think logically about things that could be creative. It can really suck those juices out of you. And it's what a, it's a, what a lot of obviously writers go to because obviously it's wonderful to work, be able to work in that or, you know, study and learn more. But it's honestly just have coming back now and then having that creativity I love how that was where it where it all began and went from there. But you said something really interesting of like, yeah, it wasn't working, but this wasn't working, but this wasn't working, and then I knew that this was. What like what was that for you when you were like, okay, this is my thing. This is where I want to write more in the rom com space. Like, did you? How did you know that that wasn't quite it? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I yeah. think it's honestly. Um, it was becoming excited about the work. There are two very distinct works that I knew weren't for me. So it was the domestic noir mm-hmm. novel that I was writing. And I just remember thinking, wow, this is a slog to edit. And I just don't feel like I'm making tracks. And I just don't feel like I am the right person. I just, it wasn't for me. And I, I would think, you know, if I got a deal for this book and if, you know, it went really well, could I write more books in this space? And I was just like, no, I think this is my only book. Whereas in romance, I could write another book in the same world as this tennis book. I could write, you know, four other books with a romance theme. And then with the the spy thriller, it was just that I acknowledged at one point I was on the phone with um, another writer, LJM Owen, who um, was a real sort of guiding light in that project. And I just said, I'm really struggling with it. I just can't make it work. And she was just like, go back to the chapter breakdown, go back to the synopsis. And I I just felt so lost and so, so unsure where to take the novel. And I just had to realise, like, after stepping away from it, is that I just wasn't a good enough writer to write it at that time. I don't mm-hmm. even know if I could write it now, but um, I think that's where you grow as a writer. And when I started writing more, I was like, right, take a take a step back from this spy romance because it was so complicated and just yeah. write an uncomplicated, for audio listeners I'm doing quotation marks, <laughs> um, do an uncomplicated romance novel. And, of course, it wasn't uncomplicated, but I just felt myself so excited about the project and so excited at every stage of the project. And I think that's when you really know yeah, 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 and I love how you st- you speak about um more when you were talking about yeah, but oh, I was thinking about this what if moment, and I think I read it in your author's note in Love and Other Scores as well. It's like I've been sitting yeah. on these ideas, and it's those little moments, right? That you're like, oh, I've got to just like go ahead with that one, I, which I yeah, love. yeah, yeah, that's so great. All of my work is like what if moments. I often sit there and just like, okay, so what if um this delivery driver kept delivering to the same person and what if this tennis player met someone that completely changed his worldview you know during the toughest tournament of his life and um yeah I'm writing a couple of others that are all just what ifs and yeah I just find that if I can think 
it's, it, inspiration comes all the time, as you know, being a writer, you could be walking, you could be in the shower and you just think, oh, what if this situation happened? What would that mean? And I try and do a lot of like social justice and, and all that sort of stuff in my book. So I always want to look at different lenses. So, for example, what would it mean for this tennis player in Love and Other Scores to be gay? You know, there are no openly gay professional tennis players out on the circuit. So what what would that look like for him wanting a relationship with Noah, um, not being out publicly, you know, travelling to places that are perhaps not, you know, not friendly to gays and, and not, you know, accepting of them and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I love how you made my fa- like my favorite part of this. It's like of when it like a coming out story is you made him so attractive to females as well. Like he's put on this heightened, he's put on this heightened like you know the sexiest the players in the world, yeah. and it's like oh yeah, yeah. Like, that's like that's make that's like even extra pressure. Like I, <laughs> it's part of your brand. Yeah. Like I, I loved it so much. Now tell me how this exact yeah, how did it come? When when did that moment come? You're like, yeah, what if what if this? And how did you plan yeah. from that moment as well? That's a good question, because there's a lot of subplots in Love and Other Scores, which um were a lot of work to sort of write and flesh out. Um so yeah, I was working down in Melbourne. So I did my degree down in Melbourne. While I was working, I was I I worked in a cafe actually, and so I would do that, you know, 20, 25 hours a week while I was studying. And then I also, during the cafe, we got, (laughs) I used to, I went to the Australian Open every time I was in Melbourne while I lived there and I still go each year. But um, in 2015, I think we got the opportunity to sort of work at a stall at the Australian Open. So that meant that I got a little pass and I could go and see people on my lunch breaks, which were only 30 minutes. So it was like booking it across the the courts or you could go and watch someone you know before your shift or after the shift and that's what I did and so I was working at the Australian Open I love tennis you know I was watching it back in you know 2018 as you know I was 13 year old staying up late watching Rafa and Novak try and win the the Australian Open so I I just love tennis and that was really that that summer that I spent at the Australian Open working there, I was just like, yeah, what if, what if? And maybe it was a little bit of self-insertion. I was just like, what if they fell in love with me? And, you know, that's what you think of as a 20-year-old. You're just like, oh, what if I, I could bag a hot tennis player um, and follow him around on the circuit? So not to say that I've, I've, I'm one of the characters, but um, that was definitely like a what-if moment, but, of course, like that was in 2013. I didn't write the book until six years later. And by then I'd grown as an author and as a person. I was like, okay, so if we're seriously going to write this romance book, we really need to think about the characters um, and what they're struggling with and, and what the reality is after them. So, yeah. Oh, my God, I love that so much. You also make me want to write rom-coms because that's just, yeah, what if, you know? Do it. <laughs> it's, so, it's so much fun. Now, can, yeah, so that, that can you give us a little bit more of a, a synopsis of Love and Other Scores and who you would recommend um, giving it a read? Yeah, of course. Um, so Love and Other Scores is a queer romance for adults, Um don't let the cartoon cover for you. Although my publishers and I spent a lot of time on it and I'm so proud of that artwork that, that um, we came up with. Um, so Love and Other Scores is a queer adult romance. Um, it's set during the Australian Open. So the main character, Gabriel, is a 
25-year-old French tennis player and he's been in the top 10 for a couple of years. Like he's, he's quite well known. He's, um, as you mentioned before, he's like loved by the ladies. He won like the top tennis heartthrob list in some, you know, like W Magazine or, or what have you. So he's sort of like really happy about that and he's very well known um, and he's playing a charity match when we sort of meet him at the, the beginning of the novel in Brisbane and um, one of his friends his, his doubles partner for a charity match um, hurts their knee and he sort of freaks out a little bit about this both because his best friend has hurt her knee quite seriously um, and because he realises how much that could have been him and because of the way that tennis players sort of live their lives, they're always jet-setting off to tournaments, they're always sort of... Um, intertwining their professional and their personal life like oftentimes their father or a close family friend is a coach or they have quite wide teams that are you know sometimes their their parents are also you know old tennis players so it's it's a generational thing so tennis is everything to Gabriel the the tennis player character and um he's just freaking out because his best friend is injured and she's possibly going to retire and and what does that mean for him because that could have easily been him and so he's getting to the Australian Open um, and he's supposed to be like really ramping up and getting in the headspace of the biggest tournament of his life. Like this is a chance to win a Grand Slam. And for people who don't know tennis, um, there are four Grand Slams throughout the year and a, and a hand, like a good dozen minor titles um, and major titles. But the Grand Slams are the big ones. Like that's the one that you want to go. So the Australian Open is in January each year. I'm sure most people know that, but just on the off chance that you don't. Um, and so he's supposed to really be like focusing on this Grand Slam, um, but he's really struggling mentally to get in the right headspace with his overbearing father, who's also his coach and his team. And so he sort of like breaks away and he, meet, he goes to a bar and he meets Noah, who is this Leonardo DiCaprio-esque yeah. swoopy hair like he's just got it going on he's got the riz um and he's the bartender there and they just get to talking and eventually Noah says well you know you've never been to Melbourne and and of course Noah doesn't know who he is because Noah doesn't like sports famously he makes that very clear in the first couple of chapters he does not like sports he doesn't understand sports he might work in a sports bar but he famously forgets to turn the TVs on uh, much to the chagrin of his boss. Um, and so he meets Gabriel and he's just taken with him. You know, there's sort of an instant crush, but it is an instant love at all. Um, and he's just like, well, you haven't been to Melbourne and you're here on business, which is, you know, that's what he thinks. Um, why don't I show you around? So, yeah, it's um, it's a sports romance, if that's not clear enough. Um and it's, it's really like ideally for people who love sports romances, you don't have to love tennis, but I hope by the end of the book that you maybe like it. Um, but there's definitely like undercurrents of tennis and, and that features quite, quite a lot throughout the book. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, it's a good beach read. It's a good summer read at least. It's super hot in Melbourne when I wrote it, which was my experience with the Australian Open, just sweating constantly. Um, so, yeah, I'd... I, hope that most people would read it and enjoy it. Absolutely. And I have to say, you don't have to love sports romances. I actually, this is probably a lie, but I can't think, I haven't, re I haven't read a sport. If I have read a sports romance, I haven't read one in a very long time, but I just love 
all romances in general and this was just like so page turning you're so into the characters they're so real when you say it felt like hot melbourne like yeah it's a summer rig so i felt like i was i'm reading it (laughs) so see i think i think on my on on my uh, page i on my instagram recently i just said how much i love mafia romances and the thing about mafia romances is i love the celebrity billionaire-esque of them and so if you like celebrity romances I feel like you would enjoy this book as well that's quite the heavy trope yeah that's yeah 100% I feel like I got that that from it as well which I I do I absolutely I absolutely love so I highly recommend everyone literally goes you can get love and other scores at like any bookstore okay it's everywhere now go and get yourself a really great summary perfect beach read honestly um but I'm dying to know what's next are you staying in the sports I feel like there's more rom-coms coming out of you I'm excited what's happening (laughs) When did you finish? So yeah. When you finished this, did you start something straight away? What was what was the process for you? Um, so I was extremely lucky last year, and I won the Voices from the Intersection Alan and Unwin Fellowship, which was created by Re- Rebecca Lim and Alan and Unwin Australia um, to sort of um, promote queer voices in literature. I love and that. And so I. Yeah, it's, and it's a fantastic program. If it opens again next year, I think it opens every two years. Um, yeah. Definitely, if listeners are here, have a bit of a look. Yeah. Um, but I won that award last year and it was for a YA sapphic novel um, and I've been working on that all through the year. I um, have a full-time job and, and also write on the side and so this being my first sort of Love and Other Scores being my first big traditional book, I was really taken aback at how much work it is. Mm. Um, and, of course, I'd self-published before, but when you self-publish, you can sort of say, okay, it's good, yeah. um, whereas my publishers were, you know, they were incredible, but I wasn't aware of the balance. And so by the time we sort of signed off on this book, I I just said to them, I'll give everything to this book. I'll make sure it's the best book it can be upon release. And I I genuinely think we did that um, from where it was when I submitted it to now is just incredible. But, um, yeah, I left this other book to sort of sit and I've come back to it at the second half at the end of this year and have been reworking it so yeah um YA isn't a place where I often sit because you know my books are quite sexy and um they have quite mature themes but yeah there's a lot um I'm really excited writing this book about the the ages between say 18 and sort of 20 when you're going off to university and you're finding yourself and you're not sure what who you are and what your identity is and sometimes maybe you're a bit of a dirtbag um but yeah that's sort of what that YA book is sitting in so very upper YA um and then yeah I'd love to write more in the tennis space but um I'm just sort of pacing myself and just seeing seeing what sort of the landscape looks like and yeah going going on that and just planning it out because it it is a lot like writing and, and having a job and, and doing all that sort of stuff and I listen to your podcast quite a lot about people who have made that trans- transition to full-time author and I also think that would be incredible but then I also worry you know oh what if you know the bills the royalties don't come in and all that sort of stuff and and yeah it's it's tricky it is, and also there's so much there's so much ups and downs to it, and I I agree. Being a 
one, there is no 100% security of what your income is going to be every single day. But two, then your major passion also becomes your, you know, you're like your income yeah, source. I agree. And that's where things can get a little bit, I feel like dicey. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like it's it, it's whatever's right for the time. I've interviewed so many people who are like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Like I go full time and then I'll try it again and do this and do that. And But um, honestly, I'm just obsessed with the books that you're creating and I feel like this is only the beginning. And that's just the exciting part of it, like getting them out there. Yeah. It's, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited to dive into like all of my projects. I've got a little Excel spreadsheet. If anyone like hacked my computer, they'd see them all, but I've got them all written out when I'd like to write them, when I'd like to publish them. Um, and, and it's exactly as you said, sort of when you're writing, I, I treat writing as my job and I do try and write to market. Um, but, you know, it's not a job that can sustain me full time. And I think if I saw it as a job that could sustain me full time, my schedule would look a lot different. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's changing all the time. Though. I'm excited. I'm excited for you. All right. Now, one question that I'm dying to ask you because you have given so much great advice. You've given so much great advice throughout this whole episode of just literally committing and making it happen. And I'm so excited because there's so many times I think I actually re- remember you saying something in a group of like, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to sign like I'm gonna sign this. I'm gonna sign this book. Like I've been working hard. I'm gonna sign this book. And literally, like a week later, you're like, "Yeah, guys, so like Pen and Villains has got it." And I'm just like, I just think yeah. you're just like such a. I remember that. <laughs> it's just such a go get a moment of like, no, this is happening, and I'm obsessed with that energy so much. Um, plus, also you've you're really putting yourself forward in like different competitions and putting yourself out there. What kind of advice do you have for someone who really wants to, yeah, I'm sitting on some stuff, but maybe, you know, they definitely want to go down the traditional route, want to put themselves out there, better their writing, et cetera. What advice would you pass on now? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> this is where I really dive in because I have real data. Like I work in marketing and so all of my decisions that I make are very data-driven So sort of around 2020, I was seeing a lot of people who were getting traditional deals. And for me, traditional deals were always the end goal for me. Like um, I wanted to get a traditional deal as a part of being a hybrid author. Um, And so I saw a lot of writers getting deals upon having a really strong self-published backlist. And I thought, okay, what are some self-published books? You know, what could I write that I could potentially stream into the self-published landscape what does that landscape look like what is my voice what is my brand um so I spent a lot a lot of time you know even I did I sort of self-published more thinking this will be the first of a couple of self-published books that I'll, I'll write that didn't end up being the case with how things got went with my traditional published deal Um, But I sort of thought, right, I'll have more and then I'll have, you know, the sister's story because so many of them do interconnected worlds within, like interconnected books within a set world and often it's one character's sister or one character's best friend and then, and you know how it is. So I was like, right, how could I stretch this book out to three books because three is the sweet spot. You know, four is maybe if three does really well but you never want just two. Yeah. So I did a lot, a lot of research about that. And then I thought, okay, so what's selling really well? 
sweet romance sells very well. I don't know if I'm a sweet romance writer. I always tend to take things a little bit further than sweet would probably want. And you do have to think about the audience. So if you're going to start with self-publishing, you have to think about the audience and what you're willing to give them. And so I wasn't willing to stick by the quote-unquote rules that sweet romance wanted. Okay, so I possibly will go into spicy romance. Um, and then I thought, well, I'm more contemporary romance. I know I probably want to write queer um, stories and I want to have queer worlds and all that sort of stuff. So that was fine. I did find when I wrote more that I didn't write it spicy enough. That was the overwhelming sense of Google review of, of my Goodreads reviews, which I did sort of, again, use as a data mine to figure out how it was landing and what I could have improved on based on my readers' expectations. But, again, I don't sit there trawling Goodreads. Um, I try and leave it alone. <laughs> it's not good author etiquette to troll your Goodreads. Just <laughs> check it every once in a while. It's like a mortgage. Check it once in a while and then forget it. That's great. So, That's great. It's <laughs> great advice. I love that. <laughs> just don't go close to Goodreads. Don't upvote your own things. I don't even rate my own books these days. Like I just sit there and I'm just like, right, people think what they think about my books on yeah. Goodreads and you can't control it. Yeah. So I did go back when I was looking at writing the second book in more series and I think, okay, so what do my readers want? They want it more spicy. They don't like how vague it was. So I, I did consider that when writing the sequel. Um, so I would really recommend for romance, there is a huge appetite for self-published, quality self-published romance. Mm -hmm. There are really, really good networks in Australia and overseas through the writers, uh, sorry, the Romance Writers of Australia, Romance Writers of America. I also tapped into 50 books to 20K. Oh, no, yeah. 20 books to 50K. Yep. Oh, that's a, yep. <laughs> that's a switch around. But I did do a lot of research around, okay, so what are people doing um, and how are they doing it? And there's a, there's a wealth of knowledge out there, but it's really tailoring it down to your specific area. With my, so by the end of 20, by the start of 2021, I had been shortlisted for this book, um, Love and Other Scores with a publishing award. Um, and I had a very small backlist of um, self-published works, like two not huge and I was I made a decent amount like I think I made five thousand dollars or more and that sort of covered everything and left a little bit in the bank for future projects but it wasn't you know quit your job over it sort of money and then I saw this penguin random house right at fellowship and they were looking for queer voices and and they wanted to see excerpts so I was like okay cool I don't have anything to lose submitting to this I'll do my chapters I've, I've already sort of written out half of the book I'll polish up those chapters I'll send it off so I did that and then I got shortlisted and I thought fantastic this will add so much credibility to my cover letter um, so it doesn't matter you know any award that you can have, that you can submit to as long as the guidelines are accepting of your work whatever it has been um, having that you have shortlisted your book on a cover letter is incredible and it just adds cred to your work. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I added in on my cover letter to publishers that more had sold a significant amount by myself. Yeah. Um, and that was through, you know, marketing and book 
books, subscription boxes and all that sort of stuff, everything all sort of conglomerates together. And then um, I started pitching in unconventional ways. So I knew the slush pile. You can just pitch straight to your publisher, get in the slush pile, hope that they read it. And I've had quite a few um, authors, author friends, sort of get into it but then I did post in one of the groups and I said how did you get your traditional deal and people would just say I submitted to an award I went in the slush pile I met an agent at an event and we were in COVID and so I one of my friends Shelley she said oh I went through the Australian Society of Authors pitching sessions like the fast speed dating pitching I think it's called and so I did that and I um, got a request from a publisher and agent for the book, which was fantastic. And I was like, right, awesome. This was pretty successful for me. Um, And then those deals didn't pan out, but it was great because, you know, I'd had a bite of the novel and I knew like, okay, so I feel like this is actually commercially appealing to publishers because when you get a publishing deal, you know, other than your advance, they're putting in, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of staffing and editing and book covering and promotion. So it's a significant investment. So you really have to think of it as a you're you're giving them a business deal. You're yeah. it's a business proposal to become a partner with you on this product. And you're you're saying to them, you can trust my reputation. Um that I am going to give you a quality product and I'm not gonna look, act like a bit of a an idiot after you self-publish it and all that sort of stuff. So it's a really big investment for these publishers. Um, but after the ASA, I sort of thought, okay, I'll keep I'll keep pushing it. And so I did a bit of a map and I was like, what does the Royal, sorry, Royal um, Romance Writers of Australia, what do they have coming up that I could submit to? What other awards? And then I just thought I will, um, I was sitting in the grandstand at the Australian Open in January and I was um, watching the tennis and I just thought, oh, I saw a couple of people, I was on Twitter and I saw a couple of people be like, this is what I'm manifesting for next year. I want to be on a podcast. I want to do this. I want to get an article in ABC. And people underneath were commenting like, oh, my God, like hit me up. I'm on a podcast. I would love to have you as a guest. And I'm like, why don't I do that for my book? And so I wrote this tweet that just said, um, it sets up, you can see the actual wording on my Instagram um, but it said something like, I have this friends to lovers queer sports romance set at the Australian Open. It's diverse. It's inclusive. It's fun. It's sexy. Slide into my DMs. I actually think I said slide into my DMs if you'd like to read it. Um, I'm great to work with because I was like, let's toot my own horn here. Never sell yourself sell short. You are great this. to work with. Um, and then a couple, about a day later, um, Penn McMillan emailed me via my website and they said we'd love to read the copy of the book um can you send us across sample chapters so I sent them across sample chapters two weeks later they came back we want to read the whole thing said yep not a problem sent them the whole thing which of course during that time of like sending them the sample chapters and sending them the book I was like furiously like editing and making sure it was super clean and making sure there was no tacos um and so I sent them the whole book and then four weeks later they came back and they were just like yeah we want we'll give you a deal. We want the book. Um, so they gave me a really good deal, like a really good unagented because I didn't have an agent. I was going just off the skin of my own back. And I had submitted this manuscript to agents who had said, we really like it, but we just don't think there's enough commercial appeal. Um, 
you know, keep us on your list, send us stuff that, you know, you keep writing, send us more stuff, which is fantastic. Like that's amazing because they can just say no. <laughs> they can just be like, no, that's fine. Um, anyway, so Payne McMillan, yeah, they gave me a really good I'm agent of deal and I had a meeting with their production team and I was just like, right, so what's your plans for the book? And we went over, we had about an hour's chat and we went over their plans um, and, yeah, we I felt really comfortable with them. I absolutely adore them and, and still adore them and everything that we've sort of done together is just beyond my wildest dreams. Um, but, yeah, that's that's how I did it. And so those, that's all my strategy. Feel free to copy it. There's so much to this that I love and, one, I'm just obsessed with the fact that you said, right, I'm a data person because you do need to tap into that space. It is so, like, it is a business strategy and there is a moment where you need to think about your your creative works as a product. You know what I mean? And yeah. I absolutely love, I love that. I love how you're just sitting. I love the moment you're like, hmm, but it's, I love anything where there's this moment of like, I just want, and they, there's a way to do this differently and it happens and you're an absolute expander in that. So yay. And now the book is everywhere. So I'm very, very, very excited. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. But yeah, if you look about, like, I just think now I walk into Big W and I think, you know, powerless, where did that come from? Okay. That was self-published first off. Yeah. Um, Twisted Love, where did that come from? It was self-published first off. And it's not to say that, like, you have to self-publish first off, but self-publishing has become an extremely viable outlet for people to have sustained careers. Yourself, you're self-published. I started off as self-published. I will continue to self-publish my work. Um, But I think, you know, we both agree that it's quality editing, it's Mm -hmm. quality covers. Um, I haven't always stuck to that rule (laughs) because I thought I could do my own cover and I was heinously wrong please just don't do your own cover get a professional to do it um and it's marketing which is so much work a hundred percent it's a lot but I feel like if you have that brain we're in a world now any like anywhere it's like if you're in music if you're in any creative industry you don't need the like yes they are you're like publishers are there and they can help you reach an insane audience but to start off and to back yourself you don't need that anymore. The middleman's gone. And it's like, yeah, there's so many different options for us. Abra, I could talk to you forever. And I'm sure that there's so many people who are going to be like, I need to know who this girl is now. So can you please let us know where where to find you, all your deets, et cetera, for follow you and see and see what's going on. Of course. Yeah. So my Instagram is probably my most active social media profile. And so that's Abra Pressler Author, A-B-I-P-R-E-S-S-L-E-R. Um, I'm also on TikTok, I think, under the same handle as Abra Pressler Author. Um, but those are my my two biggest ones. You're welcome to slide into my DMs <laughs> as if you're a publisher and um, ask me any questions you have about publishing. Um, obviously, you know, take it all with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. My journey is not going to look the same as anyone else's journey. Um, but, yeah, no, it's an exciting time in book publishing and it's an exciting time in romance. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Abra. Thank you so much. <laughs>